Good morning, everybody, again. My name is Nathan Detweiler. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. Uh, Easter morning was my birthday, uh, which was really awesome. Turning 40 on Easter was pretty epic. My wife was kind enough to uh, plan a trip for me to go to New York City last week for my birthday with her to visit my college roommate and his wife and their family. And these are people that are loved, love Jesus. They're a blessing to us really know us very, very well, and we've been involved in each other's lives for 20-plus years at this point. And so uh, it was a huge blessing. We stayed at their house, which, as you know, hotels are really expensive. We were able to, to just go at a cheap cost and see, see Manhattan and Queens and Flushing and uh, drove through the Bronx and all that kind of stuff. Uh, my friend Matt Chung, is, who, who we stayed with, is a, someone who's really interested in technology, and he always tells me about the latest uh, advancements. He shared something with me that is amazing and also very scary that I feel like God has been speaking to me through that I wanted to share with you. Um, you heard, you heard the, the Jenks family share about their trip. You know, simple words. You heard Carrie share about you know, how she's praying and these kinds of things. All of these spiritual disciplines we do are, you know, they are to come from an authentic place of love for God and love for other people. Um, and really, they produce an authentic faith in us. When we spend time and abide in God, it produces authentic, authentic faith in us. We're really following him, not just with our words, but with our actions and, and, with, and from the heart. I believe that, uh, I believe that um, in these coming years, authenticity will be the most important marker of, our chur of church. Um, wh why is this so coming to me? Well, my, my friend showed me on, um, on the new browsers, artificial intelligence. And it is amazing and terrifying. Basically, from, from now on, when you get emails from people, when you read papers people write or hear sermons people preach, it may or may not be that person that wrote those things. Because... Uh, with, 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 with artificial intelligence, you can type in, and I, and I did this, not for my sermon preparation, but I wrote this sermon two weeks ago, just so you know. This sermon was done by me, but from now on it's robots. Um, you can write, preach from, you know, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, and make it a three-point sermon with illustrations, and it will think and think and think, and boom. I'm not even kidding you. It's terrifying. You can also write really funny stories. I, I, wrote, I, I said, write a story about a one-legged horse who is evil and jealous of all the horses that have all of their legs. And so I wrote a story about a horse named Tripod that was going around stalking other horses. Very silly. I'm sorry if that's offensive to anybody because it was really ridiculousness. And it was late at night with my friend, and that's what we do. Um, the, po the point is that uh, there's, there's a premium on authenticity in our culture, especially coming up in the next five to ten years, we have to be the real deal. We can't fake it. We can't be people of word without deed, word without power. Um, we can't be people that are having artificial intelligence write our correspondences so that we don't have to figure out how to be gracious and kind to people. You ever worded an email very carefully for, for days or even weeks to make sure it's gracious, loving, kind, all these things? These are things that, that are from the heart that we do because we love God and love others. But just so you know, you can go on AI and say, write a really gracious letter, and it will do it for you. It's terrifying. So it's about, this is all about being authentic. I think the world is going to see the kingdom of God in a very stark contrast, even more so than, than we're seeing today. 
the kingdom of God, which is, which is the rule and reign of Jesus on the earth, where his people are obeying him and following him, uh, living against the grain of the world that we live in and against the grain of our flesh and for Jesus alone, loving people authentically, praying for our enemies and those who are persecuting us, and growing in love even for uh, the people that what might be our enemies, for perhaps. Um, the kingdom of God is the real, real. Everything you, we see in the world today is a shadow. It's a, it's a shadow, and it is going in a different direction than God's kingdom. But God's kingdom, this, it's like a little, I mean, it's like the God's kingdom is like an embassy in the middle of the United States or any country that you're in where we gather, and this, this is our people. This is our, this is our way. And the way of the kingdom is the way of love, the way of Jesus, the way of giving other people the grace that we have been re received from God in many different forms throughout our life. Forgiving, loving, recognizing that in Christ God forgave us, so how can we withhold love and forgiveness from our brothers and sisters? And this must be authentic. It must be from the heart. The Bible even says, you know, in terms of giving, like giving to the offering, um, each person should decide in their heart what they're going to give and then do it cheerfully. That's what God wants. He wants cheerful worshipers that love him and are doing it out of love for him and love for others, authentic, real. And when the, wor the artificial intelligence of the world and all the things, the world systems that are kind of spiraling here uh, sees the real, it's going to be very profound. And Jesus is going to reveal himself. I really believe in this generation. But we have to get the kingdom right. We have to get following God in our day, in our way, right. We have to respond to Easter right. We have to be authentic and let God change us by his spirit. So we're not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Not just gatherers of information, but people that are seeking transformation from the Holy Spirit, both for themselves and for others. People that are passing along every good thing God does in their life to other people. One of the things that faith stories are for, to pass along a blessing, an idea, a thought. And these small little things grow into uh, the kingdom of God that God's been building. It's about the kingdom. It's got to be real. It's got to be from the heart. And I think the world will, will know that God sent Jesus when they see a people living in this way of love. Two weeks ago, we, we celebrated Easter. It was the day that, that Jesus appeared, grace appeared. God came because Jesus, because God's, God sent Jesus because of God's love for the world. God so loved the cosmos, the world. He gave his only son, so whoever believes in him will not perish, but inherit everlasting life. Out of love, God sent Jesus to the cross to serve our need for forgiveness and grace and a savior. If you think about Jesus washing his disciples' feet on Maundy Thursday, you know, he, Jesus took the form of a slave among his disciples. He, he stripped down his outer garments, he got on the floor and washed the animal dung and, and debris off his disciples' feet. And he said, now that you have seen me, your Lord and Master, do this, you go and do likewise. That's Jesus' big mandate. And if you think about the forgiveness offered on the cross, it's like a cosmic foot washing for the whole world. Uh, Jesus came, and though he was in very nature God, he didn't use his equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. But he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, at his name, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A cosmic foot washing, serving us, serving our need for a Savior, not begrudgingly, but because of his great love for people. 
And this is something we are learning and growing with as, we, as we're studying and moving. Um, but that foot washing, that, that salvation, that forgiveness of our sins is, is a free gift through Jesus Christ. Uh, God's grace has appeared. Amen? It's an amazing thing. So grace appeared. So from now, from now on, everyone who looks to, to Jesus' sacrifice 2,000 plus years ago, who confesses and repents of their sin, they're forgiven. And on top of being forgiven, they're given the righteousness of Jesus on their life. It's called imputation. That's what people say. Like, he takes away our sins, and then he gives us the righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at us, who have faith, he sees the goodness and perfection of his Son. And his heart burns with love for the Son and for us in that transaction, in that moment. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. And the grace which, which appeared with Christ um, ha- has established this new order of which everything else is just a shadow called the kingdom of God, where we can live out authentic love for God and love for others in faith and pass along the good th- things that God has passed along to us. The Encyclopedia Britannica had, had a very surprisingly good uh, definition of the kingdom of God, which Jesus brought when he came and he inaugurated his kingdom, began his kingdom, planted the initial seeds of his kingdom. The encyclopedia says, the kingdom of God, also called the kingdom of heaven in Christianity, is the spiritual realm over which God reigns as king, or the fulfillment on earth of God's will. The phrase occurs frequently in the New Testament, primarily used by Jesus Christ in the first three gospels. The kingdom of God, a realm over which God is already ruling the fulfillment on earth of God's will. You could, you could think of the kingdom of God as being part of the Lord's prayer when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom of God. It's taking the per- perfect, uh, when Jesus will, will one day come and set everything right, that's our belief, and it's taking that setting things right that's going to happen in the future and allowing us to experience it in, in, to some degree now in this moment, in these moments that we're living now. We can live out the, the kingdom. In the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, John, John the Baptist, you know, he started talking about this, this idea. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, it's coming near. And of course, when Jesus had that final meal on, on Maundy Thursday, right before the Last Supper, Jesus says to his disciples in Luke twenty-two twenty-eight, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So this is how it went. God conferred his kingdom onto Jesus. Jesus came, perfectly lived out God's kingdom, meaning he was perfectly obedient to God. He lived as if God was ruling all the time without any hint or shadow of, of, uh, of difficulty, or not difficulty, of of going to the left or to the right, straight into the Father's will. And then, Jesus conferred this kingdom that John prophesied about, that God had given him, onto his disciples, who have now conferred this kingdom onto, wait for it, us. He's conferred, we are the kingdom of God on the earth. Every believer in Jesus Christ, every follower of Jesus, um, no matter the denomination or the ways we separate ourselves, uh, geographically, the kingdom of God transcends cultures, borders, languages, every tribe and tongue and nation, um, every kind of person you can imagine. 
can make up the kingdom. It's just those who live as if God is really ruling and reigning in the world. When God gave his kingdom to Jesus, Jesus put his kingdom onto us. So we're instructed in, in places like Romans 12, 1, because God's kingdom is here, do not live according to the basic patterns of this world, or even according to your own ideas about right and wrong, what we should do, what's appropriate, and live according to um, the kingdom of God. It says in Romans 12, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind uh, by God's truth. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God comes, as that prayer, as the Lord's Prayer says, uh, when God's people, Christ's followers, live in our present world as if God is already ruling and reigning in full victory. And someday the Bible promises that the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdom of God, and God's kingdom will be all in all. This authentic group of people that love God and love others, this community of faith that's perfected will become the only kingdom. So we're living now into, the, into a very sure future. We're getting a head start on eternal life in God's kingdom. So God, God's kingdom is, is his re, the realm where God is reigning on the earth, where his people are obeying him. But the victory in Christ is lived out by God's people now. It's the kingdom that God conferred onto Jesus, which he conferred onto his disciples, which they have conferred onto us, um, where we live according to the kingdom now. It's a, it's a joyful and peaceful place to live. Holiness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, is the kingdom of God. That sounds pretty good. There is no guilt, there is no shame or fear when living according to God's kingdom. It's not always an easy way to live because our flesh and the world system pushes us in a different direction and tries to bring us to our breaking point. But, when someone re but um, if someone remains faithful to the kingdom of God, my, as my friend Aaron Koonsman says, life becomes an epic adventure as you follow the Holy Spirit. And you know Aaron, he chooses his words carefully, if you know Aaron. An epic adventure as you follow the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is us Christians living now in light of Jesus' victory on Easter. One of the amazing things about the kingdom of God is that this is the, ba this is the basis for healing, deliverance, life transformation, miracles. The kingdom of God is where these things happen. That's why when we pray for healing for people that are sick, sometimes they're healed physically. Pray for people who are struggling and God meets them. Not every single time in the same ways that we can predict or, or whatever, but the kingdom of God comes as we pray, you know, because God conferred the kingdom on Jesus who conferred it on to his disciples who conferred it on to us. So we just go and we, we follow the scriptures that say, if one of you is sick, pray for healing, right? If one of you is, is, needs deliverance, pray for deliverance. God's kingdom is full peace with God. Imagine that. Physical, emotional, and spiritual healing is available by the wounds of Christ to anybody, no matter the depth of the wounds. In God's kingdom, there's justice, all is being made right by God. We are living by, by God's justice now. God's kingdom is not fully here, as not everyone is living as if God is the ruler of the world at this time. But someday, Jesus will bring this kingdom in its fullness. And every, the whole cosmos, the, ver, the, the, the animals, the plants, the trees, everything will cry out, um, hallelujah, as was said this morning. 
kingdom of God is an epic, adventurous way to be and to move in the world. It's soaked in hopefulness, in, possi- in different possibilities, in forgiveness and redemption. The kingdom of God can take our darkness and turn it into light. And in the kingdom of God, all things work together for the good of those that God has called according to his purpose. He ch- changes things uh, and uses even difficult and, ter- and terrible things for our good in our lives, his redemption. And all of this because of Jesus, because of Easter, because God conferred his kingdom onto Jesus, he conferred it onto the disciples, and conferred it onto us until the day when he comes. Today's passage is from Titus uh, 2, 11 to 15. It's a perfect message for us today, you know, so short, shortly after Easter, because it tells us exactly how we should respond now that grace has appeared in Christ. Now that the kingdom of God has conferred, been conferred onto us. And it outlines this way of living in the world, of loving God, of loving others. And that the grace has appeared. Let's look at Titus 2, 11. And we'll go to the 15, we'll finish it off. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. No one's allowed to despise me. (laughs) That's always interesting, these pastoral letters, Paul writing to the young pastor Timothy. Um, Encourage people with this. Titus is this short little book, just just two chapters. And it's Paul just teaching Titus how to be a pastor and encourage, encouraging Titus. And Paul is con- the context is that Paul is concerned because false teachers have come into the church in the form of uh, religious legalists. They're people that have become Christians where they're bringing uh, other things with them, declaring that grace in Christ is not enough for Gentiles, for non-Jews. But that in addition to God's grace... To be a valid Christian, according to these teachers, you must also be circumcised according to the law of God. This is something that Paul uh, deals with throughout the New Testament and deals with it in Galatians. But basically, this is a Jesus plus works of the law equals salvation equation that the Gentiles were being told they had to do by certain Jewish people that had become Christians. And Paul is, uh, is helping them through this difficulty. Uh, so Pastor Titus, he needs to navigate Christians from various backgrounds toward unity in the church, which is not a small task. So this, this short letter contains a lot of pastoral advice, which includes dealing with division, with false teaching, how to lead in difficult circumstances, and the character qualities that make for a good leader in God's church. Uh, this is, you know, I, I think so much of it, when I, again, this morning I said authenticity. This is a passage about how to be an authentic follower of Jesus. And that, this is the most important thing any person can do, is be an authentic lover of God who's eager to do what is good. This is how the world's going to know that God sent Jesus. The big idea of this passage is that uh, the grace of God has appeared. It offers salvation to all people. 
This is not like a slight change to the world, but it changes everything from the inside out since God's grace has appeared. For the grace of God has appeared to offer salvation to all people. If you think about Revelation as being God's revelation, not the book of Revelation, God's revelation in the Bible as being like a flower that is not bloomed. You have the, you have the Old Testament, the prophets, you know, the wisdom books, all that stuff. And, it's, and then you start seeing God in his interactions with Israel and Moses. You see, you know, the wandering in the wilderness. You see all these different situations, and God's revealing himself, revealing himself to his people. In Christ, bam, the flower opens 100%. And we get the full picture of who God is. If God was a person, this is what God would be like. Jesus is exactly like God. He's the image of the invisible God. And the grace of God in Christ has appeared the full flower of his revelation. The kingdom is here. And now the grace has appeared. We're, li- we're, going to, we're instructed to live in a new way. And we're going to see in this passage uh, what, that, what that means. So first it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This grace that has appeared in the coming of Christ, the kingdom Jesus has now conferred onto us, doesn't just have the power to, to forgive sins by the justification of Jesus on the, of the blood of Christ on our behalf on the cross, but, but grace has, uh, has a power to train us, according to this passage. You know, grace is not just a concept, it's a, it's a power, it's, a, it's the gasoline to the engine that trains us in our lives. The grace of God in its many forms. Christ, according to this passage, Christ actually teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace is the power in the engine of our faith. This is how we move forward. It's not just the principle by which we're saved. It's also the manifestation of divine power. Because when Christ uh, gave his life on the cross for our sins, it was the most powerful thing that has ever happened in all of uh, the cosmos. Um, Grace has appeared. The power of the resurrection that we celebrated on Easter gives us power to train us, to train us to be self-controlled in in, in this age. It's available to us as people that are part of God's kingdom. That we, it empowers us to say no to the non-kingdom stuff, the shadows, the ungodliness, the worldly passions, and yes to calling God. And, and gives us a joy to, in doing that. It gives us an eagerness to please God in our hearts. God's kingdom is here, and his power through his grace is here to bring transformation. This is the kingdom that God is building. I talked about this on Easter morning. Um, We must necessarily, as Christians, we must renounce some things in order to take hold of the kingdom. We must live differently than the basic way that people live in the world. We cannot have both we cannot have an effective faith when we are have one foot in and one foot out in God's kingdom. The Bible says that such a person is, is double-minded and unstable. They're saved by, by the grace of God, 
but they but because they are one foot in, one foot out, they're somewhat unstable in all they do. So they're like kind of like walking around like a time bomb, <laughs> I guess. Um, the grace of God allows us to participate in the kingdom, the epic life of the kingdom of God, um, through being trained by the Holy Spirit to renounce some things in order to take hold of others. Of course, you know, the stereotype is Christians just don't like that don't like to have fun and they like other people to not have fun too. That's kind of the reputation that we get. Earned and unearned, that's what it is. But we're, we have a reason why we renounce the things of the world. It's because holiness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost is in Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian who, who you know, like myself, who has spent parts of your life as a Christian walking with one foot in and one foot out, there's no peace in that. It's very, it's a very sad existence um, because we're double-minded, unstable, and, and not at rest, not at peace. God wants us to enter the Sabbath rest, the full rest of Jesus' work on the cross, and to be at peace with God, finally. And walking, in a way, to renounce some things, even some evil things, of course, but sometimes even good things, in order to take hold of the best thing, which is God's kingdom. And grace gives us the power to do that. So when you're struggling in your flesh, you're struggling with, you know, the, this living out the kingdom, think about, think about grace. It's, it's got power. Not just to forgive you, but to transform you uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible even says that, uh, describes this Holy Spirit's power as dunamis, which is dynamite. That's the, that's the word that we get dynamite from. Uh, it's, it's a powerful, powerful power. We say no to immorality so we can say yes to God's kingdom. And the ways of God's kingdom are enumerated by Jesus in the Bible. If you look at Matthew 5 to 7, this is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' biggest block of preaching and teaching. And here's just one example Jesus gives of saying no to sin in order to say yes to God's kingdom. Not easy, but, but good and beautiful. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard it was said... Keep in mind, this is God speaking, so this is important. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, who causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people... What are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, in the world, we have this idea of tolerance. We tolerate people with different views from us, which I think is a little bit sad. We're called to love people. You know, we're called, we're called to go the extra mile, which is also, that's a phrase that comes from the Bible, right? not just to tolerate people, but to really, really love people, eagerly desiring to love them and show them love. To even pray for our enemies and those who have set themselves against us. And in doing this, we manifest the kingdom of God. We say no to bitterness, anger, rage, malice, gossip, slander, you know, all that stuff that comes uh, when, when we have conflict. And we say yes praying, loving from the heart 
with authenticity. This is the kingdom of God. And in this transaction, the power of the Holy Spirit transforms us, maybe transforms the people we're praying for, and brings the kingdom to bear on this very difficult circumstance of, of loving enemies and praying for those that persecute. Look at how the joy gets sucked out of God's world when we live in patterns other than God's. You know, the grace which has appeared has the power to help us say yes to loving our neighbors and praying for and loving our enemies and no to what the world has led us to do, to hate, to tolerate, to, um, to despise, to become embittered. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? So you might be children of your Father in heaven. When you spend your time hating your enemy in thought, word, or action, there's no peace, no joy. There's nothing but stomach ulcers and rage, and there is no grace. But since God's grace has appeared, the full flower of God's revelation in Christ, we have the power to choose into the kingdom of God, the principle of loving enemies and praying. And we're motivated to do this because we are imitating God. We are imitating God. It says in Matthew that we would be children of our Father in heaven. God is constantly loving his enemies and those who set himself against them in many, many ways, every day, by causing rain to fall equally on, on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's just the, God gives the same sunshine and rain to everybody regardless. So that, that, that's, a, that's, a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing that God does. But he also, God offers his enemies full forgiveness as his heart of love for them, available to them. After all, you know, in the beginning of our passage today, in Titus it says, um, God offers salvation to all people, not just the well-behaved ones, all people. It's available to all people. When we love our enemies, we are being showing ourselves to be like our Father. We have the same genes as our, as our God. We, we Our impulse is to love, to forgive, to pray, to persevere, walk with, not just to tolerate, but to love one another. The appearance of God great, God's grace um, has, has, has given us the power to say no to some things in order to take hold of the kingdom of God. The appearance of God's grace is also, also signals a time of waiting. We talked about it earlier. It's offered this, the, the salvation to all people but the grace which has appeared has awakened us to the fact that um, as real and permanent as the world around us might seem, it's not the ultimate reality of God's will for his people. With only a shadow, only a slight, uh, a distant sound, an echo, perhaps. God's kingdom, which Jesus inaugurated and conferred on his disciples, he conferred it onto us is far greater and more fulfilling than anything in the world system has to offer us. The grace of God gives us new priorities, new goals, and places in us an eager desire to follow Jesus, to exalt Jesus by desiring and trying to live as he calls us to, from the heart, in authenticity, from day to day. And, you know, th this, this heart intention goes beyond, you know, stumbling, stumbling and difficulty. You know, we, we all struggle, we all stumble, we all fall down. But the person whose heart desires to please God gets up 
receives the mercy that's new every morning and keeps going. It's the power of God. And God's kingdom has been advancing. It might not seem like it, but since Jesus came, um, God's kingdom has been advancing. And it is, unlike the kingdoms of the world, it's everlasting, it's permanent. Jesus said at the very beginning of Matthew 13, 31, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now God's kingdom has advanced in the world since the time of Jesus. We believe that. And one day it will find its fulfillment as at the time of God's choosing. We will see the kingdom that was always a hidden reality. Jesus teaches us how we should engage with the world now that God's grace has appeared in his kingdom in Luke 12, 35. Jesus says this of how we are to live in our present age. Be dressed, ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. Hard to do when you have one foot in and one foot out. Hard to be watching, hard to be ready. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must also be ready, because the Son of Man, it's a way of talking about Jesus, will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour when he is not aware, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows, but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. From the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked.